Hi guys, it's Tony Robbins. You're listening to Habits and Hustle. Crush it. Today on Habits and Hustle, we have Dr. Uma Nadu, who is the author of the best-selling book, This Is Your Brain on Food. She is literally the world's first triple threat in the food and medicine space. A Harvard-trained psychiatrist, a professional chef graduating with her culinary school's most coveted award, and a trained nutrition specialist. She really has it all. She has been considered Harvard's mood food expert and has been featured in a ton of media, including the Wall Street Journal, Goop, Healthline, NBC, and the list goes on. Please listen to this episode in its entirety and learn about how food affects your brain and everything else in between. I loved this episode. Enjoy. It's really great to meet you. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of yours. Um, Thank you. You're you're like you're like Superwoman. I, I your your credentials are like like unbelievable i've never met anyone who has like you're like a triple threat you have like everything and usually you have guests on who have one of those modalities and you would literally have all of it so thank you no you're welcome you're what a harvard psychiatrist uh actual professional chef as well yeah yes (laughs) specialist i mean wow you're amazing Thank you, thank you for that. And I love, I love you. Um, where can I love your setup? It's, it's cool. Oh, thank you. You know what it is? <laughs> I'll tell you what this is. Normally, we do the podcast on uh, treadmills. Oh wow! Okay, that yes. looks so cool put together <laughs> like that. I know people keep on asking me if it's uh, from the Game of Thrones or something because it looks so crazy. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So that's the thing. So no, it's just basically I have nowhere else to do this. I have two kids on Zoom, and since everything now is this way on yeah. on yeah. virtual or you know Zoom Squadcast, I have to kind of put my 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 new office, so to speak, right in front of my old office. <laughs> it, it's all of this uh, squashed up space that we're in, but I'm trying oh, to make it work. Absolutely. Where do you live, by the way? Um, I'm, I'm currently in New York, but I live between uh, Boston and New York, but I'm based in New York mostly these days. Oh, wow. Okay. And so you, because uh, I, I mean, at the beginning, we'll do a proper intro, of course, but um, I just want to, I get right into it with people because, you know, yeah. I get so excited when you just come on and especially you, who I feel is just like I said, like such a role model. I mean, like, are you First of all, if you're, you call yourself, you're a nutritional psychiatrist. Now, yeah. are you the first or did you create that segment or are you just the only one who does this? So I think there's probably one other recognized person in the US, my colleague Drew Ramsey, who's done it in sort of a private practice model. I think that what I did um, it was that I, bro- I brought it into mainstream academia. So, you know, my mentors at Mass General and at Harvard were testing omega-3 fatty acids, vitamin D, magnesium, folate, you know, for decades. But really what nutritional psychiatry does is puts it together for people into a nutritional plan and integrates um, in my book what I felt was necessary. So two things. In my book, what I felt was important was bringing together what we know in nutrition science does change all the time. Um, so that people could be guided to use f- uh, food and nutrition as a tool. But the other component, besides the fact that that hadn't been done in that way before, was that beginning the um, clinic at Mass General was significant because it really was getting the idea into academia and having, mm. uh, you know, having them recognize that, well, it, this is this is worth building a clinic on. Um, and, you know, I think the book has brought a lot more visibility to the clinic, but I think that there's a real hunger that people have to to find more ways to feel better because we know that medications just uh, only take us, and research has panned out that medications only take us so far, including therapies, you know, of which I'm a big believer, so... Which is amazing because typically you think of a psychiatrist as someone who just prescribes meds, right? Like that's that's the way it's turned out to be. You know, um, it right. never used to be that way when 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 Freud and, and the analysts were around. But that's how modern sort of modern day medicine has made it, and insurance certainly has made it that way. Um, but I think that the more times we can involve a holistic approach that has the mind body connection and 
and really mindfulness um, becomes really important to to all aspects of mental well-being. Well, yeah, because, you know, you, you can't make money off of food, so to speak, right? So they would be pushing all the, the, the drugs. Now, you know, you know, what's interesting to me is that you're, you're, so you've actually helped heal people. You're really about the, the mind-gut connection and how the yeah. mood is affected by that. And yeah. can we first start by, I mean, with the vagus nerve, what is the vagus yeah. nerve for people who sure. don't know? Sure. So the vagus nerve is the 10th cranial nerve. And the ten, it, it connects the brain to the gut. It, it's it's this actual nerve, and it. What I like to call it is a two-way superhighway, because it's bidirectional flow of chemical messages from the gut to the brain and the brain to the gut. It it's significant because um, it works all the time, and it really helps people understand that there's this real connection. But then. People also need to understand that the gut and brain arise from the exact same cells in the embryo, the neural crest cells. So, you know, people don't initially think, oh, these two organs are connected. My brain's up here and my gut's down here. But they actually start from the same cells. Um, you know, then we also, for, for, for times of, of the pandemic, really want to be mindful of the fact that more, about 70% of our immune system is in the gut as well. I'm sorry, it's all a system. It's just, you know, it's all a system that modern medicine tends to make very siloed. Absolutely. I mean, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I wanted, oh, to, no, no, no. I want, I wanted to add that I, I also read recently or heard on a podcast, maybe it was, you, maybe it was with you, um, about how mental health is basically like one of the biggest drivers for life loss or disability, more so than even yes. heart disease. Yes. And now I imagine with the pandemic and everybody feeling more isolated, um, mm -hmm. their depression is up, anxiety is up. I mean, yeah. you know. Every, everything is up. And the CDC reported that 11% of Americans considered suicide during the pandemic, which wow. as a psychiatrist is a very frightening number. And it speaks to the depth of despair that people are feeling and maybe not unable to share. And in my opinion, clinically, you know, I think that the silent pandemic is the mental health crisis because we're talking about the vaccine, we're talking about how to be safe for COVID, but no one's talking about how people are managing with isolation, being separated from families, or even those with their families, there's different levels of stress, financial stress, school stress, meal stress, um, that they're experiencing on so many levels. You know, we know that, we know from surveys that um, different types of abuse has increased during the pandemic because of confinement and, and people really being in, in quarantine with, mm -hmm. with people who are abusive. And then drugs and alcohol are on the increase because there's boredom, there's, there's suffering, there's, um, you know, again, quarantine and inability to go out and see friends. So many people are just sort of, you know, just drinking more. And I've, I've evaluated patients where, you know, people are talking about, having most of a bottle of wine at dinner. Uh, and, and ordinarily, you know, that would be maybe a Saturday evening for someone. But now this is a nightly occurrence with, with people. And because of this almost lack of boundaries that mm -hmm. the days in the pandemic has, people don't know whether it's Wednesday or Sunday. Sometimes exactly. it's every day that they're having a, a bottle of two of wine. And it's, and oh my it takes God, a while to, to, you know, to help understand that. So... You know, I'm not. I'm not judging them. I just, I just think it's really hard for people right now. Oh, absolutely. Now, would you say that, like, in your practice, do you combine? Like, are you? You're not saying, or maybe you are. I don't know, but that you know, foods. Because obviously, the book is called "This Is Your Brain on Food." Um, mm -hmm. That you can you can replace medication with food, or the combination together is what really is the is the secret sauce. It's either the combination, so I still prescribe medications for some individuals, but what nutritional psychiatry does is it's really the an augmentation, it's an additional strategy um, for someone who's taking medication. So I've had individuals use nutritional strategies and be able to lower the doses of medications they take. Mm. I've also had individuals who, because we know that DSM-5 just does not capture every single person who has, um, let's say, some some type of mental distress. It, it's it, The categories just don't capture everyone. And there are many people with a touch of anxiety, but also 
you know, some problems with focus. And there are many, many cases like that. And I find that those individuals, if they're otherwise functioning, and they have the willingness, the ability, um, but really the, the the energy to say, well, I'm, I'm going to try this plan. They can actually get around uh, taking medications and, and, and be perfectly fine over time, but it involves being consistent, not expecting overnight success, um, and being safe enough to manage without a medication. And that those who are too severely depressed who really do need to start with the medication and work their way from there. The, the, the amazing thing, though, is even if someone's being prescribed a new antidepressant, it doesn't mean they can't eat differently. If they're taught, in fact, they're educated ahead of time about how to use these strategies to, you know, help the fiber in your gut, to eat, you know, plant-rich poly- polyphenols, to eat omega-3-rich um, fatty fish like salmon, then they have the tools going into that um, versus just facing the side effects, which is usually how medications work. You know, you go from diagnosis to medication and then the side effects. Right. And hopefully in that, there's, there's some release, relief of the symptoms. Um, and, and so you kind of, from what I, from, from your book, I, I, I read all about the fact that you kind of got into this whole immer- this blend of nutrition and psychiatry because of your own health and your own experience. So can mm. you kind of talk about that a little bit and how it yeah. kind of, kind of evolved and came to be? Absolutely. You know, you, you, you never intend to be your own patient um, or, or to yeah. be your own case study. And uh, somehow life teaches you, teaches you great lessons. And Absolutely. so I was pretty healthy, you know, I was pretty healthy, not noticing any changes. Probably I would, I would, and I have said this before, I think that my stress level, I, you know, was growing my clinic and really interested in the work I was doing, but I was busy. And I think the one thing that had changed is my levels of stress. And um, you know, unfortunately, by chance, while on vacation, discovered the slum. Um, and, you know, the, the blessing of being or, or having access to um, excellent medical care is that things move so fast. So it's almost as though my body went through all of these tests in, in a super fast way. But I'm, my mind was still in shock. <laughs> and so within, you know, seven days, including a weekend, um, I, I was beginning treatment. And um, I think that what occurred to me in the morning of my treatment was I'm, I'm, I'm fortunately not a person who has anxiety. Like I don't, you know, I, I empathize with people who do, but I hadn't, hadn't been a person who would wake up um, feeling anxious. But that morning of my first treatment, I was incredibly unhinged and feeling you know, what, what was I, and the, the, she, has, she has the problem, I knew all the side effects I was going to face, and that was right. the scariest part for me. And it really was a very seminal moment in, in how things changed for me, and I think um, made me realize that I was advising people and, and counseling people and studying this and researching it, and, you know, why wasn't I just trying it on myself? Because I was sort of thinking about the side effects of the medications and not what can I do to improve how I'm feeling? Because I was unusually anxious. And that's really when I decided in that moment right there, and that became the attitude of how I was going to handle treatment. You know, I was going to do everything I knew and up my game um, in terms of how I was eating, what I was drinking, how I was managing myself in order to feel better. And I have to say that I didn't know it would result in that, but my doctors were always stunned that, you know, I had, virtually no side effects. I I went through um wow. you know, I went I, I went through treatment with obviously the things that you can't avoid. Um, you know, the chemotherapy and the and the effects of chemotherapy. But, you know, for um so so for example I'm saying, you know, you can't you there's no way around the hair loss. Um and yeah. but but you know that part is hard. But but you know to not have the side effects that people suffer with was quite amazing and that to me was a feat and it it taught me the power of um of how you eat of of really putting it into practice um and and looking to see how your body would respond so i really inadvertently became my own case study but it it was i think it was good it it was it was good in the end it taught me so much and it you know it humbled me because you you always it's so powerful to have a prescription pad, you know, and, and to 
write prescriptions and someone leaves your office in my early career, that was what we were trained to do. But I always had the side of myself that had been raised in a very holistic, um, you know, uh, in a family that was holistic, that had doctors and Ayurvedic practitioners and that talked about the mind-body connection, that focused on eating healthy and eating delicious food. So for me, there was that gap of how do we bring it together for people and, and, and hopefully we, we're getting closer to more of a holistic, integrated and functional model of care that doesn't, you know, just use the power of a prescription pad um, and makes the person receiving the prescription actually not feel that they're in control. Um, right. it's, it's really, you know, it takes away a lot of autonomy. And of course, you know, prescriptions are needed in, in many cases and can be life-saving, saving. but sometimes it's, it's, it's good to know um, both sides of that. And I think when you're a patient, you, you realize. Absolutely. So it was I can imagine. Uh, you know, I have like, so I have so many questions written down here about all the different types of uh, mental, um, not, I wouldn't call it an illness, but like just uh, things that happen, mood disorders, they would call it, right? right. Like uh, anxiety, <laughs> depression, um, mm-hmm. brain fog even, which is not even, right. or like cognitive functioning. I, and yeah. I have, I, I want to know from now, I feel like everything becomes a fad, right? Like, you know, intermittent fasting is a big thing. The keto is a big thing. It's all kind of pre, it's kind of repackaged from like, isn't the keto similar to the Atkins diet back when, <laughs> right? Like it's so confusing and overwhelming. So mm-hmm. what I notice a lot is people, are doing a little bit of everything. So they're combining everything and getting no real effect, right? Because what, what would you say? We'll, we'll start with the overarching and then we can kind of like whittle it down. Yeah, which, sure. What do you think of the intermittent fasting, the ketogenic? Yeah. Like what, what do you think is the best, most effective um, diet plan for mm-hmm. overall health? Absolutely. So um, let me just start by saying that I think more and more that we understand the gut microbiome, we know that it's like a thumbprint for each of us. So I've had, um, I treated a, a woman several months ago who happened to come in with her adult daughter. They were talking and I was taking the history and they had an opposite reaction to the same healthy food. So we can't even assume that a healthy food is going to just Mm. be great for someone that also speaks to the personalization of what we need to be doing in in the field of nutritional psychiatry that being said based on the research and based on what we know there are certain patterns which have definitely emerged plant-rich diets fiberfold diets uh, uh, plants are rich in polyphenols antioxidant anti-inflammatory foods and then things like beans nuts seeds legumes healthy whole grains all really bring fiber as well as plant-based omega-3s to the gut. But we also need protein and we need healthy fats. So, you know, proteins of choice, uh, things like salmon. Um, It could be a type of meat that you eat. It could be poultry. For me, it's much more the source of of the food than whether, whether someone should be vegetarian, vegan, or carnivore. So I consider myself diet agnostic. And what I eat really doesn't matter because I've got to be able to help the person who's carnivore, vegan, or in any, any, everyone in between. And what I've found is that people who find the balance for themselves of foods they enjoy eating, that they tolerate, but with those elements of paying attention, you know, one in 10 American, uh, Americans eat enough vegetables in their diet. That, that's, a, that's a pretty low number. It's pretty sad. And, and most of us, um, you know, eat way below the amount of fiber in our diet. And fiber is not, you know, the orange supplement that our grannies take. It's, you know, it's, it's actually in our food. It's, it's supposed yeah. to be something that we eat. And we now know that it's so important to nurture the gut microbiome. So I agree with you. There are, you know, my patients always coming in with the newest fad or what they read in, 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 in a magazine or the newspaper. I think that where I'm at in, in this process is I think that we need to be paying attention to a few things because of our metabolic health. And we know that the pandemic has shown that individuals with pre-existing conditions are ones who are suffering either from death or, in fact, severe side effects or longer-term problems. And with one, what, is, what is the basis of some of that? It's how we're eating because it's metabolic disease. And with people, you know, with levels of obesity being so high, with pre uh, people being, I think, um, 
pre-diabetic or almost or many having type 2 diabetes. Metabolic health, which is really um, what we need to watch for is insulin resistance, um, oxidative uh, stress, and inflammation other things that you really you want to break that cycle so my 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 um, ultimate answer is to be careful about a metabolic health and what does that mean be careful about the types of carbohydrates you eat you don't have to exclude them they're a very important macronutrient but be careful about the types especially if you're struggling a little bit with your weight combine that with healthy fats um, from the right sources you can eat plant-based protein you can eat animal protein the source matters and a, a ditch, uh, um, a, re a diet that's really rich and abundant in in plants, and so so fruit, vegetables, and plant-based proteins as well. So that kind of balance. Um, it's not a keto diet, and it's not the pure Mediterranean diet. It's almost some sort of combination of elements of being careful about carbohydrates, because you know there's there's a there's nutritional ketosis, which is really allowing your body to still have carbohydrates but the right kinds for your body and allowing your body to burn alternate sources of fat and i think that that's very very different from from the way that the ketogenic diet is discussed in the media or how people understand it and that's what i mean about combining a plant-rich diet being careful about carbohydrates eating healthy fats and then deciding on the proteins you want you know, someone could be vegan and eating and be eating um, diet, uh, soda, diet soda and chips. That that technically could be vegan. Yes. Um, you know, in a similar way, um, someone who's carnivore could, could also be eating in an unhealthy way. So I think it's about finding what that right mix is, finding what your body tolerates based on your unique gut microbiome and, and really not following one rule, but integrating um, elements of what works in different, we, we know, for example, that Mediterranean diet really has hit the high notes in studies of depression and yeah. anxiety. So it's a good, it's a good basis to have. It's a good starting point to have for oh, us. Yeah, I so. know. You did talk about the Mediterranean diet. Like it sounded to me that that was the diet of, that you, like that you would say would be the best one to look at as um, a role model, so to speak, to kind of base your diet on. Um, Absolutely because of all the things that it, it, it kind of includes and involves. So who, okay. So then um, let's go through like, let's go through a bunch of stuff. So like, what is the, for like brain fog, cognitive functioning, things like that. What would you say would be the best foods to help with that for focus? I mean, we mm -hmm. all read about blueberries and, and wild mm -hmm. salmon. Is there anything that, I, we haven't heard of that's like, oh my God, that's completely unique. I'm going to include that. Yeah. So some of my research uh, showed the, that there's a very powerful antioxidant called luteolin that's found in things like fresh peppermint leaves, certain spices like thyme, juniper berries, and several others that actually help with brain fog. So adding those to a soup, adding those to a tea um, actually can help to lift brain fog. With cognition, there are, there are a list of foods, um, and the way that I divide up my book is into these chapters, but you can kind of read the chapter that's most appealing to you. Um, and there's a, a list at the end of foods to embrace, which is really intended to be much longer than the foods you have to avoid. So with cognition, things, spices like turmeric, you know, the pinch of black pepper to make it more bioactive, actually has shown has been shown a number of studies to help um but then then, then you go into individual foods so, so there are things like that that are slightly unusual like saffron a spice that we don't use much of um actually shows a lot of uh, a, a lot of good evidence for improving depression but that's one of those circumstances where you know we don't eat enough saffron in our diet it, when we do cook with it we only use a few strands it's also super expensive it's, that yeah. could be a place that someone could use a supplement that has saffron. So, so wait, you know, oh wait, not to interrupt you, but I want to say, I want to yeah. ask you two questions. So yeah. why, why do you have, so is turmeric not effective if you don't include the black pepper in it for the bioactivity? So, right. So, so turmeric is, uh, has an active ingredient called curcumin and curcumin becomes bioactive and more available to the body when it's either combined with, with black pepper, which contains a substance called piperine, um, or if you use it in a healthy fat. So either of those processes makes the turmeric really, you know, my feeling is why not get the better, best benefit and have it be bioavailable, if not 
you're really right. not getting as much of a benefit from it. So I just told people to add in their black pepper with their turmeric. It's a pinch of black pepper with turmeric. So you can grind some into your spice jar or just remember to add it in when you're cooking. So is there a difference between the ground turmeric and actually fresh turmeric that you have to kind of grind yourself in a, in a juicer? Is there an, is so, there efficacy different? So, you know, the generally the dried spice is much more potent um, than a fresh, uh, the oh. fresh fruit. So, so um, what I say to people is because, you know, turmeric is a beautiful spice, but it's also bright orange. It stains people's clothing. Um, it's... <laughs> Certainly yep. stains, chefs, cooks, <laughs> and, and, and counters. But, you know, it's, it's up to them. They can really spend that money on a, a really good organic brand um, and, and use, the, use, use the dry spice. But if they want to use the root, um, you know, putting it into a blender or however they'd like to use it or grate it on a fine grater or cut it up could be, could be okay too. But remembering that it does stain. It does stain. <laughs> I had no idea that. So what I've been doing, because I, I just assume that the fresh root would be so much more potent that I've been like basically staining. My husband's like so mad at me because I've stained all the counters, all my clothes. My hands are, are orange for like orange. weeks on <laughs> For weeks I, I on end. I totally get it. Right? Get it. And I'm yeah. like, and he's always like, can't you just use the dry? And I'm like, no, this is right. way better. And right. now you're telling it's, me it doesn't enough. matter. It's, oh. Well, you know, it, it just, it just had all dried spices uh, concentrate. So even if you were to buy, say, fresh parsley, but you had, you know, dried parsley for a roast, you would, yeah. you would just use, you know, you would, or soup, you would use less of it or time for that matter. That's just the, the, the understanding of how, how spices are. There's no harm in using the fresh fruit, but I caution people about it for exactly the reason that you, because then, oh. then they don't they get put off and they don't want to use it again because it stains a white shirt or. Yep. Know. Hundred percent true. And then, how about in terms of the amount? So I've read a bunch yeah. of stuff that, and that, mm -hmm. in order for these spices like a turmeric or a saffron or whatever saffron to actually be effective, you would have to use so much of it because the amount that we're using—a teaspoon here, a teaspoon there—I know is probably cumulative over time. But how can these? How much do you really actually need for these things to take effect for your? Uh, brain fog, cognitive function, anxiety. Sure, sure. So, so with um, with with saffron, that that is really for the best benefits for depression. A supplement is better, and okay. that's because we just simply don't cook with enough strands of saffron to make a difference. And they used highly concentrate capsules in a lot of the studies. With with turmeric, you can start off with a quarter teaspoon and a pinch of black pepper and build your way up from there. It's pretty safe in terms of, say, number of teaspoons, depending on what you're making. And it does work over time, so it does accumulate. But you can, you the, you know, the range that I like to give people is start with a quarter teaspoon and go to a few teaspoons in a day and, and split it up into a soup or a smoothie or a tea or cook with it in your stir fry or saute or your roasted vegetables. Um, you know, I think that it's, it's, uh, it, it's pretty safe if you if you're eating it and you including it. It's when people do strange things. There was a case report of someone who died because it was used intravenously, which they, that should never that should never you know that should never happen. So um, so so in, in you know there's a good range of amounts you can use and. Um, for things like cognition, just adding it into a soup every day or smoothie is just is just the way to go. And you don't have you don't need a ton. Start off with a quarter teaspoon and build your way up from there. So how long does it take to kind of feel any type of real effect? How long like all, all these things I'm gonna be asking you. Is right. it like after a few months your body will start to see a change after a couple right. of weeks? Like what would it right. So I think that with, with turmeric, it really probably is one to two months before you, you notice anything different. But here's the thing. Turmeric has other effects. It is an anti-inflammatory. Yeah. It is an antioxidant. It actually even has antiviral properties. So you're doing something good for your body if you're tolerating mm -hmm. it and if you're not running into an issue with it. So my feeling with food and actually even the other nutrients or spices that we're speaking about is why not? Unless you have a problem, right. have an allergy or an intolerance, add them in because they all are going to build up towards your better health. Same thing right. with even changing a simple habit like the servings of vegetables that you eat. 
So then can we talk about anxiety? Because I feel like as you know, we were speaking earlier, especially with the pandemic, I feel like that is at an all-time high as well. Um, I, I read in your book certain things like vegetable oils to stay away from, artificial artificial uh, sweeteners. Um, would a sweetener be, would stevia be considered um, an okay sweetener or is that still under artificial? So, so stevia is, is natural. It was just found that in a lot of studies, it, it did worsen anxiety. So anxiety is a specific condition where you probably want to be a little bit careful with stevia. Um, you know, I think that erythritol stevia are, are um, uh, relatively okay. You know, some people are no artificial sweetness at all. I think that most people want that taste. So I, I, I say to them, if they really want to use something, just use everything in moderation. Just use a little bit. And there's a newer one on the market called Allulose um, mm-hmm. that is so far showing up some pretty good results. And I think that what people like about it is it actually looks like sugar. And so they can add it to baking. Um, you know, they can add it to a little bit of yogurt if they want and get that sweet that sweet taste. And so far, the evidence that we're seeing in allulose is pretty good. But again, some people say no, sweet, no artificial sweetness at all. My focus is really that niche of mental health. So therefore, even though stevia is, you know, otherwise natural, it does worsen anxiety. So just be a little bit careful in that in that situation. I also like people to be aware of those foods to avoid because they're actually a pretty important category. Um, someone that I was treating, you know, was felt she was addicted to sugar, and in many ways she was. And so she gave up sugar and went from sodas to diet soda. And it really had, she had a real uptick in anxiety for two reasons. Firstly, her body was physically withdrawing from all of that sugar and the second which she was going to sweetness so that was driving her you know artificial sweetness in the diet soda so that just was kind of a, 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 a an event that was really not good for her um yeah. uh, either physically or emotionally so it's it's, it's being aware of those things or so the fact that you know uh, processed meats contain nitrates so mm-hmm. Those can drive depression. These little things just to be aware of a processed vegetable oils, which are are less expensive, right? So often fast food restaurants use them. So if your diet is, you know, sort of largely fast foods, there are a few things besides the processing, out of processing, the use of the inflammatory, pro-inflammatory processed vegetable oils. The things like, you know, that people don't realize, like fast food french fries have sugar to make them hyperpalatable. And there's a recent study from February of 2021, um, so last month, that was from the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition that was really looking at the likeness of, um, of uh, you know, the, the way that foods are processed are really made to be addictive because they are hyperpalatable mm-hmm. and they have these processed ingredients. So, it's, you know, it's just, it, it, these are the things that we, we, we do have to keep an eye out for. Oh, absolutely. I know. I saw you talk about that one uh, on somebody else's podcast about sugar and French fries. And, you know, people don't aren't, yeah. aren't aware. They don't know what they don't know. Right. So they think they're like yeah. having a no sugar diet and they're going to McDonald's and having French fries. And it's also yeah. dipped in yeah. gluten, which is a whole other funny thing. Exactly. Right. So, yeah. yeah. So it's just I mean, so even gluten, though, gluten, um, it, you say, is also um the, the the connect the correlation between gluten and anxiety is very very high. Exactly. So with gluten, you know, I am careful about how I share this, and it goes back to what we spoke okay. about earlier because of the sort of fads that people go on, and there's these assumptions that if it's vegan, vegetarian, or even sometimes gluten free, that it's healthy. But actually, a gluten free packaged or processed food can have a ton of the wrong kinds of starches for right. you. So it may not have wheat, which is the uh, you know gluten is a protein wheat, but it could have tons of other um, high starch um, and high glycemic um, uh, processed flours. So the way I like to speak about gluten is really that it depends on what you tolerate. Um, with people with anxiety, maybe a slow elimination or removing, say they a person who eats just a ton of um, store-bought breads, that's something to think about. Um, and uh, sometimes uh, a slow elimination will show that then anxiety improves. But that doesn't mean you have to demonize gluten because there are also other sources that you can you can eat and are more whole food based sources. The ones that I'm always most concerned about are you know the kind of loaf of sliced bread that you buy 
that if you left on vacation and came back, it would be completely fine. And you yes. have to ask yourself, why is it completely fine? Because it's filled with preservatives and added refined sugars and oils and stuff that that unstabilizes and all of that that keep it that way, right? That that preserve it. And those are the things that are great for our brain. So and, what is and our metabolic health. And our metabolic health. So what is it what is it about gluten though that causes such anxiety? Like what is it like and and I used to be told, you know, if you were a lot of because I want to just kind of preface it with um I feel like a lot of times people cut out gluten because they think it's going to be, um, it'll help them with weight loss or fat loss. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I would always say, well, unless you're a celiac, unless you have celiac disease, you know, you're able to eat it, but they'll say that they'll say, Oh no, I'm, 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 I'm gluco or gluten intolerant. You know, they can't eat it. It's it's Mm -hmm. an overused thing. People just keep on saying they're intolerant just because they want to use it as a reason to lose weight. To, to, right, to lose weight. So it gets very confusing what the diet was out there. And I think that, you know, gluten is, is not the perfect substance. And part of that has to do with the industrialization of wheat mm-hmm. over time right. and the kind of wheat that goes into the products that we, um, you know, that, that, that are made. Um, it goes back to the form, the form of gluten that, that it is. And so I think that people do need to be careful because gluten can be destructive to the gut in certain ways, et cetera. But again, it goes back to the source. The other thing I would say about it is people, um, often have a misunderstanding that if they start to eat products that are gluten free, but then they go into the store and buy a ton of packaged processed foods that are oh, gluten free right. and that doesn't help them. So there's that factor. And um, the the way in which, you know, when people give up gluten, this, the, you often will lose just because of how the body and the metabolism works. You might actually initially lose weight, but people don't always think it's real weight loss because there's a lot of water weight that's lost. Mm-hmm. And then you still have to work on the, the, the shedding the pounds that you have. Right. So it's a little bit misleading to people sometimes. And that's why just cutting back, um, you know, eating more vegetables that, that are pretty low in calorie and, um, having, you know, uh, more, more fiber in your diet from beans and nuts and seeds and legumes and, and that type of thing, just a healthier direction for you to go. Um, even eating a, a, a super healthy green salad with lots of colors from, you know, colors of the rainbow. That's a filling meal that could have the different nutrients you need. And it's just much better than going in the direction of that I have to be gluten free. That's actually over time going to help you shed the weight, but also keep it off. Right, long term, long term. Yeah. What 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 would you say would be the best foods for someone who has anxiety to really incorporate into their diet? So we covered one of them, which is a little bit of turmeric, but not everyone. Yeah, turmeric, right? It eats turmeric. It um, seems like turmeric is like the, 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 the superpower food, the superpower sponge. It's, it's good for everything. It, it, it's good for depression. It, it, it does. It does. It, exactly. It does show up a lot uh, in, in the different studies. Um, but the other one is vitamin D rich foods. Um, so, you know, having, having, um, uh, adding, adding those in. And then there are things like, um, there are, uh, you know, in Ayurvedic medicine, there are things like ashwagandha, um, that, uh, people don't usually eat it, but it can be in different supplements that they find. Um, there's also, uh, super dark chocolate. So dark chocolate, extra dark, about more than 80% with no added sugars, uh, is actually a really good, good one because it is, firstly, it's a, a prebiotic food because of the way that it's a uh, probiotic food, because of the way that it's made and contains serotonin, rich in magnesium, and all of those things will help with anxiety. So just a square of extra dark chocolate will be helpful to a lot of people. And, um, you know, then things like eating food, eating your berries is my other tip because the blueberries really do help um, with both the fiber the polyphenols, which are great for your gut, great for your brain, antioxidant and anti-inflammatory. And then there are a few, you know, there are a few more that you work through and including things like um, teas that are very relaxing, lavender, passion flower, which can be made into a tea, um, as well as chamomile, you know, are really uh, helpful for, for things like um, things like stress and anxiety. Wow. So then um, 
Wow, this is great. So then how how about with kids? Let's talk about kids. Is the mental health in children, is it also obviously in an uptick now with all the Zooms and people are so isolated? Are we are we seeing more ADD in kids? Do you believe in ADD? Do you think that's an actual thing? I know a lot of yes. doctors think it's kind of just an overused um I think there's a little bit of both. I think it's over-diagnosed. Um, I think we need to be careful before we, we pull that prescription pad out, especially in children. Um, but I do see a, a lot of it. And I have yeah. to think that it's also related to our food system over time and um, the more processed foods that children are eating over, the more high fructose corn syrup, the more unhealthy that our diet has become over over generations. Uh, which which lines up with you know the obesity crisis in children as Absolutely. well. So, so what, how do we help our kids? What's a, what are some good tips that we can do to feed mm-hmm. our kids? Because kids also won't eat something if it's not you know if it doesn't taste good. So right. absolutely, and and I'm, I I think anything we eat has to taste good. If not, no one's going to stick to to uh, that healthier choice. Exactly. So, do you have any good good tips for us that we can kind of use sure. for those who have kids like me? <laughs> sure, sure. I, you know, I think part of it is we have to model the behavior, right? So, yeah. if 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 you and I are going for that tub of ice cream after dinner, then that's what they see. Right. But there are, there are ways to re almost re um, rework this for ourselves, and some of it is replacing those crunchy, salty snacks that they're looking for with healthy versions that you can quickly make. One of my favorite go-tos is either chickpea snack or um, spinach or kale chips in the oven instead of, you know, crunchy, salty snacks that are processed. Because literally it takes 20 minutes, you add on salt, pepper, and maybe a spice that you like, a drizzle of avocado oil takes 20 minutes and it's a crunchy snack. You know, things like switching out the ice cream for um, a, 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 a... I make a banana and ice cream, and it's really just frozen bananas. Um, I, I will, you know, in my recipes, use a touch of honey, yeah. but again, in yeah, moderation. Gotta, I was going to say, these recipes are very good, actually. I'm going to use one tonight, <laughs> the, the miso glazed salmon. Salmon, salmon, no, sweet potatoes, absolutely. And so it's it's almost like taking what they like and finding healthier versions and making sure that they're there. Uh, another one that I like is having tons of cut veggies, you know, in either interesting shapes or, um, you know, uh, kids like log. You can do that with, with other ingredients that don't have to be uh, raisins, which are very concentrated in sugar. You know, you, you almost have to think about ways that would be attractive to them. So almond butter, you know, with, with celery sticks and having what you know in your family are the favorite snacks almost replaced with a healthier version of them um that that they buy into and that they start to start to like and then making sure that the foods you have often savory foods have a ton of added sugars that we don't realize like pasta sauces and ketchup and things like that salad dressings even so you know making just a a, a two or three ingredient vinaigrette and having it in the fridge for the whole family you know, having a, a large salad be part of how everyone is eating. Yeah. And, you know, people, it, that's that's what, that's what one of the bases of what we do. And we add in maybe the proteins, you know, in some families, one child is vegetarian, one child eats fish, you know, whatever it yeah. is. So, so ways that it can work for, for different diets and, and, and different family members. But, but, but almost subtly or, or overtly maybe uh, just, just changing how the family is eating. Yeah. And, you know, that's how kids learn, you know, if, if, if that, that and, and of course, you know, breakfast cereals are unfortunately a very big issue because breakfast cereals are highly processed and oh. have a ton of sugar. So, so, Absolutely. you know, getting away from the, the habit that we've sort of grown up with is hard. It's hard to be able to, to switch that out. It's very hard because also the kids see the commercials on TV and it's like, yeah. it's like it feeds everything. Right. And so they want to see, yeah. they want to have it. It, it looks like the fun cool breakfast. I try all of these things. I try to do this with my kids. And at the end of the day, it's very, very difficult, you know, but it, it is hard. It is definitely hard. And, you know, it's, um, it's, it's, it's hard to change, change a habit. It's difficult to know where do you start? So I, I totally get that. Totally get that. Yeah, what, chia what you, pudding is one of my favorites, but oh, chia pudding! Oh, that's a good one. I'm going to try yeah. that one. I haven't tried that. I'm writing it down because you can um, make it ahead. Make it ahead, you know, for the week, and everyone can have a little scoop. But it's rich in protein, rich in fiber. It has plant-based omega threes, 
um, you know, use coconut milk, which is, which is, you know, healthy and they top it with berries or, you know, dark piece, pieces of dark chocolate or whatever they want. No, that's great. I'm going to try that one. What is your take then? Cause I know you said you also use it in the book, so it can't be too bad, but the honey, cause honey and popcorn yep. are two things that are very con- like. I wouldn't say controversial, but there's a lot of like mixed messages because popcorn, right. obviously, it's corn, which can be right, right. So what which, it, which can be problematic. So with honey, the, my position on honey is that I I use it only because it has other health benefits, and so I use it, but I use it in extreme moderation. And it's the one thing that you know, say I made a the um, rest one of the recipes in the book. And or say golden chai, you know, and I wanted something. Usually, I try to go with the sweetness of the cardamom and the sweetness of the cinnamon. But if you want a little drop in a golden chai of honey, that's fine. I really do mean a drop because the moment we start going from a drop to two tablespoons is when the whole problem begins with you know overly using right. even a natural form of sugar. Um, so I think that being mindful of that becomes really important. And I like to because there's a lot about um, sort of the corn industry and all of that. I say to people, can we find other ways for those crunchy snacks that we like? You know, um, an organic, uh, a can of organic chickpeas rinsed and dried and with some fun spices. Uh, you can go in any direction of, of ethnic foods that you like and crisped up in the oven, you know, can be um, an actually nutritious, nutritious snack that you, you make at home. Um, and it, it doesn't take long, you know, and you don't have to, I'm not saying you have to buy the chickpeas and, and, and pressure cook them. You can buy an, a couple of cans of organic chickpeas, rinse them out, um, and dry them and, and roast them, you know, so, so it's, it's, it's thinking out of the box a little, but I totally get what you're saying because children don't always buy into that, but, you know, mo- maybe, maybe for us to model more of that behavior until it catches on. And of course, understanding it's, it's not going to happen overnight. So then, so honey, then you, you're okay with in moderation. In, in moderation, yeah. Right. But it, does it not? So, it, does it, so very little, yeah. So. No, 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 I was going to say, how does it affect your gut? Is it, does it change the microbiome at all or? So honey, it, it, when, when, you know, honey, it, the reason I say little and in moderation is it's still broken down right. as sugar, right? So, so it, you, you know, the moment that you start to, instead of that drop of honey, um, start adding it back in in a big way. Um, the whole with the gut microbiome, those gut microbes want to be fed by fiber, those polyphenols from plants, um, lots of anti-inflammatory substances that we're eating, antioxidant substances. The moment we, you know, go on that fast food diet with the sugar and the French fries, and adding, you know, three tablespoons of honey to to yogurt, is when we start to actually feed the bad microbes in the gut, and when they take over the good microbes, that's when you start to get inflammation in the gut. And, and that's when problems problems start for us. So it's about making sure that that gut environment and the microbes are healthy and fed the right foods. We were talking about the gut bacteria for a second. I, 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 I'm, I, you, I, you said this in the book a little bit, or I read a little bit about if you had like a schizophrenic person who had, a, you know, their gut bacteria of the schizophrenic person, what would happen if you took that that the gut bacteria from a person who has schizophrenia and put it into somebody else, would they not, or would they have schizophrenia? So, so one of the studies that was actually pretty significant that was done uh, was, was where they, they did a, a fecal transplant of um, the gut, you know, elements of the gut bacteria from individuals who were diagnosed schizophrenia and they put them into germ-free mice. So germ-free mice do not have, a, they, they do not have bugs in their gut. And the mice developed those symptoms. So I think that was very significant because what it told us it was being, it was, it, it really was being, but remember, this was in an animal study. But right. we also, with research, have to start somewhere. We can't always, you know, look at, look at someone's right. brain tissue and euthanize them for that reason. So that's why we start with animal models and, and work from there. Um, so we, we do know that the, the gut is powerful in that there's a lot of, um, almost, for want of a better word, memory coded in the genes and, and in our DNA there. Wow. And, and how about the role of the amygdala, the fight and flight mm-hmm. response? Can we talk a little right. bit? Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. So, you know, the, the, um, 
the way that what what we basically want to do is 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 calm down our system and that's where i feel like it not only is it not only about medications food is a big element but another thing is mindfulness breathing exercises the power of a deep breath um using apps to to calm ourselves down to feel like we can transport ourselves by listening to a sound or looking at something or doing say an alternate nose breathing or some something um alternate nostril breathing um even a mindfulness exercise if you maybe you meditate or um you can you can help yourself get out of that state of panic and um it's really about working with ourselves to to overcome the the firing of the amygdala it's interesting how in the gut you can have you can, you know when you have an inflammation you know you have a lot of symptoms side effects if you have an inflamed gut but when you have inflammation in the brain it's not really obvious right so how how do people know if you know how to kind of how do they become aware of what they need or don't need based on just if they have if they don't know you don't know what you don't know so what's a good sure. starting point for people besides of course getting your book <laughs> right absolutely so so the you know i think that the way we want to think about it is is some of the research in alzheimer's has shown that neuroinflammation in the brain so brain inflammation and neuroinflammation is related to how we eating in our lifestyle right. so what we can take away from that is that i've clinically what i've seen is that individuals have an uptick of symptoms or new onset of symptoms when they have a disruption of the gut which then loops back to that inflammation in the brain so we know that we have to be eating differently working on our stress uh, practicing mindfulness doing all of it in a system um a body's system in order to to lower that inflammation so it's something we firstly want to be aware of and then making sure we eat differently uh for that as well and um if someone would come to your like so like someone who is it would someone have inflammation if they had ocd and anxiety i feel like those two are kind of aren't they all somewhat connected anxiety Absolutely. people could have could have you know touches of each of, of different things and not necessarily fill in fill in the check boxes of a category in DSM-5 which is what we use but very often people have parts of different conditions and they just not feeling great right so if they come to your office and they have a little bit of a lot of ocd and a little bit of anxiety is that is that inflammation in the gut is that inflammation in the brain what would be a diagnosis to get someone started besides of course turmeric which we know is like the the secret power for everything sure i'm sorry i better than understand how is the what is how, what is the diagnosed system yeah, like, get people started yeah what what would what would be a di- what would be kind of like your first what would be the kind of like action plan for someone like that besides i said turmeric yeah. because we know how much you love turmeric right right right, <laughs> right 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 so so you know i i talk about um pillars of mental health and some of this really i developed as a way to bring these plans together really during covid because i knew that the book my book has the principles in them and a good way for anyone to start um would be to think about how can what cha- number one what change can i make right now today um you know am i eating enough vegetables could i have a serving of berries in the morning with my chia pudding could i think about what i'm eating instead of say a um a fried chicken sandwich from a takeout could i learn to do an oven roasted chicken oven baked salmon or if i'm plant based maybe i have a, a good non gmo uh, piece of organic, organic tofu or tofu or tempeh or natto that i can prepare at home with some spices or however i'd like to have it instead of that say fried chicken sandwich so what can i do right now today that could up my my nutrition game in terms of my health because i can tell you that if you if you make those changes it's going to impact your mental health that's where i have people start it's going to be something that they feel they can grab onto and do for some people it's as simple as having enough water in a day because hydration really affects our metabolism it then affects the nutrients that we need for our brain so even it could be as simple as that but other people want to do a little bit more so i have them start with the corner piece of cornerstone of what they're not doing and can they start to change mm-hmm. some of that um and it becomes it really is a, a matrix of building up these different steps but i also realize that you asked me about emotional immunity and the best way that i can explain that 
is that so we have we have our emotions we have our emotions uh, could be more stressed could be our mood being a little bit blue seasonal affective disorder and the winter is hot but we have based a lot of this discussion and my book is really based on the gut brain axis but 70% or more of our immune system is in the gut that becomes really important to understand because we are also eating for our better immunity mm-hmm. so people don't realize that red bell peppers are one of the highest levels of vitamin c more than citrus fruit you know yeah. adding those into a stir fry or smoothie even however you want to have it becomes important because it's improving your immunity but it's also helping your emotional health because we understand that the gut brain connection how we eat impacts those gut microbes and so we want them to be thriving and that's really where it loops back into uh, impacting our emotion and also impacting our immunity now is there that's great um is there certain things that we should i mean like i guess not stay away from we should incorporate if someone does have ocd or is that i know we talked about but um well red pepper has a huge amount of vitamin c but what should someone mm-hmm. be looking for what should they be kind of um, incorporate into their diet if they have OCD. Sure, sure. So they should, you know, uh, they should definitely be starting with um, w- with those good. With the we've talked about the prebiotics, we've talked about the probiotics. Yeah. Um, starting with those, and then I think one of the things that I consider very powerful and have had very good effect within OCD has been um, being really cautious about where they find glutamates because glutamates can be natural foods like mushrooms, parmesan cheese, or even tomatoes. But monosodium glutamate and other glutamates can be found in other foods. And when you don't realize they're there, they actually worsen symptoms. So I often start with an OCD with people really wanting to be aware of the things that they uh, want to be more careful about, because I find that it really drives symptoms, especially where it's hidden. Right. I think a lot of the stuff, like we were talking earlier about the French fries and that are dipped in sugar or have sugar, a lot of yes. things are hidden. That's the problem, right? We don't know <laughs> what we're eating. And, half and, the time. and we're not, we don't know how we're eating. And that's why going towards, um, I was speaking to someone earlier and she was just saying, everyone just needs to come out processed foods because we, we simply don't know what's going into them. And it's, yeah. it, we also understand that that's hard. It's really hard to be able to do that. But I feel that we have to move from, you know, the standard American diet as much as we can edge ourselves in a healthier direction or push ourselves as, as much as we can do uh, th- that we should. And, and any one of those changes is going to be better than, you know, the fast food french fries and, and kind of the junk foods that are a lot in our diet. And then, you know, the things like trans fats have been associated with behavioral aggression in clinical studies. So, yeah. you know, there's no denying these effects anymore. Uh, we, we, we know the evidence is there. It's, it's how do we walk ourselves back um, from what we're eating to, to a healthier place. Does it matter timing of food? Like I, I, at the beginning, we talked about the keto. I don't think I got, you, I kind of mentioned the inter, intermittent right, fasting. Right. Do you, do you yeah. intermittent? Is that something that you do? What do you think of that whole thing? So, you know, I think that there's more and more emerging evidence. Certainly there's, there are uh, positive benefits for um, physical health with intermittent fasting and fasting, um, uh, you know, mimicking diets and those different kinds. I think that it, A, depends on the person because everyone's response is different. B, we, we knowing and learning more about the impacts on mental health. Some of my, my patients who have used it, and I always say only do that under the, under the instruction of a doctor because you don't want to get yourself sick. You don't want to fast too many hours. You, you know, you, you want to be discussing this yeah. with the physician. But um, people have noticed an improvement in brain fog, a more, more clarity and focus. But I think that, you know, where I'm at with it is I feel like the evidence for mental health is still coming out. But there's really good evidence for physical health, for, you know, for sleep, for hormone balance, um, for circadian rhythm use, and, and sort of, you know, really helping us be um, in a in a better state of mind because of using fasting and intermittent fasting to our benefit. And, you know, people start off with tw- um, a 12-hour overnight fast and then have breakfast um, and then build, build up from there. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I was just so curious because I know everybody who comes on here, they, every single person is intermittent fasting. I feel like I'm the last one mm-hmm. to like join the, the tribe. 
you know? So I, I, I wanted to ask you because if anybody knows, I would think it would be you, I would trust. I, I think there's a really a lot of good evidence for, for doing it, but doing it the right way. So, right. you know, uh, the intervals for women are slightly different for men. Um, you know, I think that uh, there's definitely a place for it, unlike, you know, what I would consider to be more of the, the fads that are going. I think that there's a good amount of uh, medical evidence and science behind what's being done on intermittent fasting. So what I just don't know enough of yet um, is where it will take us in terms of mental health. Got it. I have one more question, I think, and that's basically, I'll let, uh, I'll let you off. I'll let you go. Um, I know, obviously, it's about having the, the food source, but in terms of supplementing, um, what's your take on supplements? I mean, besides, of course, like I said, you obviously having the real food, but sometimes, like you said, for saffron, for example. Um, that's a great example of, of when it's needed. Vitamin, vitamin D, D is another one, is, a, is another important one. Many people will supplement with omega-3 fatty acids, plus eat, eat it in their diet. Um, you know, I think that magnesium can be super helpful for anxiety, um, but you can also get that through food. So my principle is, you know, I try to work with people around their diet first. So eat, changing into healthier habits, moving from that standard American diet. Why? Because I know that that's going to start to fill in nutritional gaps that they have because they've been eating a poor diet. But the reality is we don't lead a perfect life. You know, we are, tend to have a lot of stress. We may not be sleeping well. Uh, we have, you know, the sources of our food are not perfect. We, we don't all grow our own organic vegetables in our gardens and pluck them and eat them. Um, you know, so, so it's, it's hard. It's hard for the average person to do this. So I think there's a place for supplements. And I think it much depends on what you're not getting in your diet, checking with your doctor. Maybe you need to get some blood tests or not. Or maybe you know that you know you're getting certain nutrients and not others. So uh, it it could well be that you need to supplement to fill in those gaps. But I wouldn't start there because you really can't can't just like you can't exercise out of a bad diet. You can't mm -hmm. supplement your your way out of a bad diet. So if you you know if you if you're eating um, French fries uh, from a fast food restaurant and their burgers every day, you know taking the best multivitamin and all those um, <laughs> other supplements I mentioned. It's not going to do much. So, so people just need to understand that. So rather start to tweak your diet first and then fill in the gaps with, with supplements that you may need. Absolutely. It, thank you so much, by the way. This was a real pleasure to have you on the podcast. Uh, it was great to talk to you. Oh, you have such a great knowledge and fountain of information. And uh, the book is called This Is Your Brain on Food. And I, I recommend it. Like I said, the recipes are like, I can't wait to make the salmon tonight and the sweet potatoes. The recipes are delicious. It looks delicious. It seems delicious. I haven't made one yet. but People have liked them. And I think that the focus was really making them simple. Not because people can't yes. cook. Because you, know, you, want, you want to make it accessible. You want to, you know, you don't want to start off with souffle. You just, you just want to get, you know, some roasted exactly. salmon on the table or roasted, you know, miso sweet potatoes or something like that. No, and that's why I got to tell you, like so many, I get so many like cookbooks that say come to me or people who have recipes and they never really make anything. But when I went through this, it was, it was actually so like, there aren't very many ingredients and like, it's kind of like dummy proof. It's really hard to kind of screw it up. So that's for me. So that's why I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to make a whole meal tonight with this. So thank you. That's awesome. It was yes. a pleasure to talk to you. I had just such great questions. Oh, thank you. It was a pleasure to have you. Where do people find you if they want to know more information on you and your book and all the amazing work that you're doing? Thank you. So you can follow me on social, which is at D-R-U-M-A-N-A-I-D-O-O, -O, which is at Dr. Umanaidu. We're always putting out current research, the, you, you know, new stuff that's coming out and sharing really educational tips with people to feel better. And uh, my website, which is you can subscribe to umanaidumd.com. The book is available through the website, but it's also available on all major, you know, booksellers online and your local bookstores. Well, congratulations. It's a really good book and it's a good guide also. So like you said, you don't even have to just kind of read it, you know, end to end. You can kind of go back to it yeah. and find what you need. And it's really, I, I really enjoyed it. So thank you. Thank you so much. I, I really appreciate hearing that. 
Habits and hustle, time to get it rolling. Stay up on the grind, don't stop, keep it going. Habits and hustle, from nothing into something. All out, hosted by Jennifer Cohen. Visionaries, tune in, you can get to know them. Be inspired, this is your moment. Excuses, we ain't having that. The Habits and Hustle Podcast, powered by Habit Nest. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.